Sarah Kurzada, and welcome to the Tech Roadside Chat podcast, where we dig deeper into archaeology and history topics in Texas. Today, we will journey through time, so to speak, and visit some archaeological sites around the state. Why is Tech doing this, you ask? Well, the Texas Department of Transportation is actually responsible for the majority of permitted archaeology in the state. We are credited with finding some of the oldest sites in Texas, dating back to the earliest humans in the state about 10 to 13,000 years ago. It's part of what we do before we build roads. We look for what is in the right of way, many times years before construction starts, to preserve pieces of the past. It's a responsibility that we take seriously and we enjoy as we help bring some of the stories come to life. My job at TechSot is to help share those stories. So today, I have two guests who will help us uncover some of the best archaeological sites in Texas that people can still visit. We have Brett Cruz, the Director of Historic Sites at the Texas Historical Commission, and Michael Strett, the Director of Cultural Resources Management at the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Welcome to the show. Good Good morning. Thank you. So this topic is of personal interest to me because my family takes a few road trips throughout the year. Um, earlier, we were at Seminole Canyon State Park, um, enjoyed some archaeological tours there. Um, and I think it's really neat to see how many places in Texas there are to, to go when you can learn about ancient cultures or even historical figures or um, battle sites around Texas um, just by visiting them. Um, from our perspective at TechSot, when we talk about transportation history, we knew that roads um, to major cities now might have been based in early ancient Indian traces um, or Spanish settlements uh, and pioneer roads and railroads. And as we build the transportation system, we're not only uncovering some of this history, but um, historically we've built roadside parks that highlight Texas's history and highlight different historic sites. And we also built roads specifically to go to some of the historic sites around Texas um, soon after the creation of the Park Service in the 1920s. So today I just wanted to um, talk to you guys about a little bit about those sites and what we know from them based on the archaeology. So why did Texas Parks and Wildlife or the Historical Commission create these sites um, and parks? Well, <clears throat> for a lot of the historic sites that are now managed by the Texas Historical Commission and uh, the Texas Parks and Wildlife, um, back in the not, late 1960s, early 1970s, there was sort of a, a period there when Texas, um, the legislature, realized that they were losing a lot of the important historic sites um, uh, around the state. So a lot of the historic sites came into the system, into the state system during that time. And um, uh, the effort was to try and preserve them for the, for the people of Texas. For, for the state parks uh, and the state historic sites that TPWD manages, the uh, the major initiative was, as Brett says, to, to protect those sites and for those agencies then to interpret that history to the public because that is Texans' history in these places. So I think we're still learning a lot from some of the sites that we have, too. I mean, there's still um, new interpretive archaeology coming out. But one of the questions I wanted to ask was, how many archaeological sites are there in Texas? Do you all know? Um, I don't think anybody knows the exact number, but I think it's safe to say that in Texas, throughout Texas, there are probably hundreds of thousands of archaeological sites. Uh, the vast majority of those, of course, are on private property and uh, not owned or, or managed by the state or protected by the state. 
We have parks where we know that there are um, as many as several thousand archaeological sites just on some of the larger parks. Uh, and the state historic sites um, are essentially one large archaeological site or considered one large, large archaeological site because of the activities that went on in these places. What are some of the parks with the earliest evidence in uh, Texas before European contact? Places that uh, the public can visit where they can see some of that evidence is uh, like at Caprock Canyon. There are some exhibits there related to early man and uh, early humans uh, in Texas. Um, and that's in north? That's that's up in the Panhandle, correct. That's, that's pretty far north. Um, it's uh, a canyon, though. It's on the escarpment of the, the southern high plains. Uh, Paladuro Canyon, which is also up there in the Panhandle, similarly has evidence. Uh, and there's a visitor center museum there, which we're currently um, looking at redoing the interpretation there. But uh, both of those interpretive centers have information regarding archaeology and, and early settlement in the state. Waco Tanks, which is in far west Texas in El Paso, and there's great evidence there in a, a small visitor center, but um, uh, tours can be taken where uh, the visitor is taken out to archaeological sites and rock art sites, uh, especially the rock art at Waco Tanks is, is really phenomenal to see and the tours there. And also at Seminole Canyon, which is in the lower Pecos, uh, it's about four hours west of San Antonio on the, uh, the, the, the Rio Grande and, and the Pecos Rivers there. There's also tours to the rock art sites, and they discuss the archaeology that has been done in those locations over the last few decades. So we mentioned rock art in both West Texas and sort of southwest of San Antonio. Um, what kinds of archaeological evidence was found up at, in the Panhandle that you um, mentioned at Paladoro Canyon and Caprock Canyon? There's evidence of... Um, people passing through and small villages there. Uh, it's obviously mostly rocks, which are the evidence that um, people left behind. Uh, in the dry shelters, we can find some of the, uh, the, the mats and the sometimes pieces of sandals that uh, were left behind by people who use those dry shelters. But if it sits out in the open, the only thing that's going to be left for the most part is going to be the tools uh, and the weapons that they used. Wow. So how old are those sandals or mats, for instance, that they might have found? Uh, in, in some of those dry shelters down in the, like in the lower Pecos, they're several thousand years old. I, I, I can't tell you, uh, you know, any specific um, examples of exact dates, but we know that generally those sites are two to 4,000 years old. Wow. Um, now, we also have Atlanta State Park, which is sort of in the northeast of Texas, correct? Correct. It's up not far from Texarkana. What can people expect to find there or learn there from archaeology? That area is, um, for prehistory, for prehistory, excuse me, um, is related to the Caddo people who were in Texas when Europeans began to visit. So there's evidence of Caddo uh, from uh, about a thousand years ago right up to contact, which was in the, the 1600s, 1700s. Uh, and there's um, a road trace through there. Uh, I forget the name of that trace. Um, 
There's also a ferry there called the Bobo Ferry that, uh, and the, the associated wagon trades that went through that area, which um, is related to white settlement in that part of the state. Interesting. Brett, what are some of what we call historic sites around Texas that people can visit or learn more from? Well, some of the uh, historic sites that the Texas Historical Commission um, manages uh, that I'd like to talk about just because of their sort of their archaeological uh, emphasis. One of those is Cattle Mound State Historic Site. Um, even though it's called a state historic site, it, it really is a prehistoric site. Um, it was occupied by the Caddo Indians beginning about 800 AD is when it was first uh, occupied and, and established. It is located on the Nagus River in uh, what is now Cherokee County, just about 30 miles or so west of uh, Nacogdoches. Um, this was a, a large uh, ceremonial and village center that was established by the Caddo. Um, it, it remained being occupied there for about 500 years. It's the southwesternmost uh, Caddo center uh, in Texas. Most of the cattle sites are from there eastward and moving into Louisiana, Arkansas, and, and eastern uh, Oklahoma. Um, there are three mounds uh, that the Caddo built there at, at Cattle Mound State Historic Site. One of those is a large burial mound, and then there are two ceremonial mounds there. And um, back in the 40s, a lot of archaeology was done there by the University of Texas. And that's how we know a lot about uh, the Cattle Indians at Cattle Mounds. Um, the archaeology there really concentrated on the mounds themselves and not a little bit out in the village area, but not a whole lot. So we have a lot of information from the artifacts about the burial practices of the cattle at that time, about the social organization and uh, the, the ceremonial construction of, of the ceremonial mounds. Uh, there's been additional archaeology done there over the years by the University of Texas and other organizations that have expanded out into the village area. So we're, we're beginning to learn more about the village life itself. It was occupied probably by a few hundred people uh, during that 500 years. Um, why it stopped functioning as a, as a village around AD 1300, we don't know for sure. It may have been just the degradation of the social organization over time, uh, climate change. There doesn't appear to be any evidence so far of, of any warfare that was the cause of, of the collapse. Um, so it's, there's still answers that we need to find um, um, for Cattle Mounds, but we know a lot based on the archaeology. So that's one of the sites that we uh, that we emphasize and that we really encourage people to go to to learn about the, the prehistoric cattle Indians of East Texas. And that site particularly has a lot happening there in terms of um, programs and events that people can attend. Right now, we are really trying to emphasize uh, to the public programs that talk about the prehistoric lifeways of the Caddo. Uh, we've tried to, we're, we're trying to initiate a foodways program which you know, emphasizes the gardening that the cattle would have uh, been doing there. We've recently finished the construction of a cattle grass house there, uh, which has been a fantastic tool for interpreting and, and letting people really see uh, how the cattle lived and, and uh, 
um, uh, the, the, the foods and the educational programs that we're offering, um, they're, they're a great addition to the public for, for learning about the Caddo. Because a lot of the items that were recovered during the archaeological work there were items that were associated with the burials there, we tend to not display those types of things, so we've emphasized more uh, in the visitor center and, and in the museum there the lifeways of the Caddo rather than a lot of emphasis being placed on the burial items that are still important and sacred to the Caddo Indians of today. Sure, and actually when you guys built the grass house a few years ago, you worked with the Caddo Nation. We did, as a matter, matter of fact, um, a Caddo elder is the one who uh, essentially designed the building and then came and uh, worked there with us to construct the building. That's great. And I think um, Caddo Mounds Historic Site has an archaeology program every year during Texas Archaeology Month in October. They try to emphasize some aspect of the archaeology there uh, to help observe Texas Archaeology Month. Uh, it's not an archaeology program in the sense of going and doing uh, archaeology there or excavating there. It's more uh, what you can learn by uh, conducting archaeology at, at one of these sites. You know, that's a good point. Can anybody do or participate in an archaeological dig at any of the sites we've mentioned, whether they're Texas Parks and Wildlife or Texas Historical Commission historic sites? We don't currently have any ongoing excavations uh, in the state parks. Uh, what we typically do is recommend that folks attend the Texas Archaeological Society Field School, which is held every June. Uh, it will be held, uh, it's usually in the first uh, week or so of, of June. Uh, as a matter of fact, next year, in, in 2019, that field school will be held at Palo Duro Canyon State Park. And I believe one of our archaeologists is going to be the field school director for that. That's correct. <laughs> Kevin Hanselko will be running that. At uh, the Texas Historical Commission, we also, at the moment, do not have any uh, archaeology programs uh, that the public can come and uh, participate in as far as uh, excavation. However, one of the things that we're looking into at uh, San Felipe de Austin State Historic Site is to try and develop a program there that would be a public archaeology program where members of the public could potentially come and spend a few days volunteering as we conduct, ex conduct excavations there. Um, that program is not yet up and running, but we're looking into how to make that work at the moment, and uh, it's something that we hope to offer to the public in the near future. At another one of our sites, um, which is not currently open to the public, is the Levi, Levi Jordan Plantation. That is also a site that we're looking into once it is open, which we anticipate will be in about five years, we, we hope. Uh, public. Archaeology is a program that we're really looking to try and make it part of uh, the experience at that site as well. But again, it's in the works. It's not open yet, uh, hopefully in, in the near future. Well, that, that sounds really exciting and a great opportunity for people who might otherwise never touch uh, an archaeological site in their life. Well, one of the things that I'd like to follow up that uh, Michael mentioned, in addition to the um, Texas Archaeological Society and the field school that they do every year, there are regional chapters, archaeological uh, societies around the state that I would encourage the public to seek out in their, in their area. Um, there's the Houston Archaeological Society, for example. They do a lot of um, 
investigations in, in and around Houston. Uh, They're currently helping us with a um, an excavation in downtown Houston. Oh, are they? Mm -hmm, with the Frost Town. Frost Town. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's a number of other societies around the state uh, that are similar, and um, you can you can get information about those societies if you contact the archaeology division at the Texas Historical Commission. They can help uh, guide you to a society, hopefully in your region of the state. So tell us a little bit more about San Felipe de Austin. San Felipe de Austin, it was the colonial capital of Stephen F. Austin. Um, when he uh, petitioned the Mexican government at that time, Texas was part of Mexico, and he petitioned the Mexican government to bring in settlers from the United States to colonize that, that portion of uh, Mexico. Uh, Mexico was agreeable to that. So in 1823, Stephen F. Austin established San Felipe de Austin as his capital of his colony and began to bring in American citizens. It was from San Felipe de Austin that he would then issue to those citizens land grants as a way to uh, entice people into the area. So San Felipe de Austin, uh, which is today located about 50 miles west of Houston, just off of Interstate 10, uh, in the small community of San Felipe. Uh, sits above the Brazos River, and um, it was in operation for about 13 years. It became the, the point where a lot of the revolution, Texas Revolution as it was being planned, uh, took place. Um, there were a number of Texans that we know well today that lived in or passed through San Felipe de Austin. Uh, William B. Travis had his law office there. Um, of course, Stephen F. Austin was, was there. And today we've just opened, uh, about a week or so ago, a brand new 10,000 square foot museum uh, dedicated to San Felipe de Austin. And it really emphasizes uh, in a large degree uh, the archaeology of the site. Uh, in 1836, during the Texas Revolution, San Felipe de Austin was burned to the ground by the citizens to keep it from falling in the hands of the Mexican army and General Santa Ana as they were coming through that portion of Texas after the fall of the Alamo in their pursuit of Sam Houston. Uh, so there are no buildings uh, from the time period that remain at San Felipe de Austin. It's all archaeological deposits. And uh, we, we have done some archaeology there to discover the remains of the town, and we plan to do more in the future. And a lot of the exhibits in the building really focus on what you can learn from archaeology uh, by doing excavations at the site. Now, that's, that's really interesting for people like me who, you know, I have no background in archaeology, though I work with about 10 archaeologists, but um, they often, you know, you go into the field and, you know, a layperson might see some just grass and some landscape, but once an archaeology team gets in there, you're excavating several units at a time very methodically. And, you know, to someone like me, it's like, how do you get a whole story from something like that? The, the archaeological evidence uh, of a place like San Felipe de Austin or uh, Parks and Wildlife, Washington on the Brazos, um, you have to put it together in, in a lot of different levels. There's the landscape, 
there's the remains of the buildings, there's the remains of the material culture or the artifacts, uh, the, the stuff of people's past. There's trash pits, there's things that people just dropped. There's uh, the, the building themselves, the things found in individual rooms or outside of individual rooms tell you about the use in those buildings and in those individual rooms. Uh, and then you start putting that all together as a package and, and documents can tell us who owned that building through time. And then you can begin putting together the artifacts to the owners through time. Uh, and as we're interpreting a very specific period in, in history in many of these places, we try to find those stories related to those individuals, the Stephen F. Austins of Texas and their remains that are in the ground. It's those telling of stories that uh, archaeologists really want to do with the things that they find. It's the way to get that information into the general public's heads and their hands is to tell those stories about Stephen Austin when he came and he, he settled the state and how the, the battle at San Jacinto unfolded and where it unfolded on the ground. Uh, because being able to tell that story on the place where it happened really drives home history and the importance of, of our beginnings of settlement here and also the, the history that Native Americans have when you can see these places where the Native Americans lived and why they lived in these places. The landscape tells you that. That really drives home the importance to the public. That's a great point, bringing up the fact that you know we're not just talking about the history of um, people settling here uh, around the 1700s to, to today, but what happened at these sites before that. And so, Michael, give me some examples of uh, parks in the state that have archaeological evidence of people early on as well as through time, through maybe the same time that Brett was just talking about. Well, a good one for that um, is Big Bend Ranch State Park out in the Big Bend region. It's uh, the largest state park at about 315,000 acres. Uh, and there's archaeological evidence there of people living on the landscape from 10,000 years ago right through to, uh, the, to today. And uh, there are tours that people can take, they can sign up for them, that talk about that history of peopling on the landscape. You can see rock art from a thousand years ago. You can see the landscape and the reason why people wanted to live in certain parts of the park. And out there, obviously, it's all related to water, where the springs are. And right up through to uh, wax factories that were operating during First World War and Second World War to waterproof the equipment for soldiers. And there's the remains of that wax factory is still out there on the east edge of the state park and tours can be taken there. There are also um, other uh, industrial processes of, of mining, um, looking for uh, silver, and all of that evidence is still out there. So that, that one park, and it's your largest state park, has all of that. And folks can see that by taking tours, by hiking. There are trails that lead to various sites, and there are waysides that discuss those various aspects of history. Brett, what other historic sites um, on your list have archaeological aspects to it that tell a good history of our state? One of the sites um, that I would like to mention that has just come into, into our uh, system of state historic sites is uh, Mission Dolores 
State, State Historic Site. It is in East Texas in the town of San Augustine, deep East Texas, about 20 miles west of the Louisiana state line. It is a Spanish mission site established in 1721. Um, there are no above ground remains, <clears throat> excuse me, today of the mission. What we know about it uh, has come almost exclusively from archeological excavations that have taken place there by uh, Stephen F. Austin State University students there. And in the museum that's there today, Again, the exhibits there will really emphasize the archaeology and, and the archaeological remains that have been discovered there. It's, uh, it's an important site. It's an interesting site because when you think of a mission period site, a lot of people in Texas will think of things like uh, the missions in San Antonio, the Alamo, and the other various missions. The East Texas missions were not like that. Uh, there are no um, remains there of stone buildings. They were being built out of timber and mud, and so they did not preserve. A few, very few, if, if any, I think, I believe there's only one or two of the mission sites in East Texas that the precise location has even been identified as to exactly where they were at, and Mission Dolores is one of those. And so it's an important mission site in that part of the state, and one that archaeology has played a major role in its discovery and identifying exactly where it was located. That actually leads me to an interesting question. None of us have talked about the Alamo as an archaeological site that we visit, but who actually manages that site? Uh, the Alamo is managed by the General Land Office. Okay. Um, it is, as you said, a very important <laughs> uh, historic site, and it's a site that a lot of people don't think of as an archaeological site. But a lot of what we know about the, uh, about the Alamo has come from archaeology that has been conducted in and around the Alamo. When you go there today and you see some of the exhibits there that really highlight a lot of the artifacts that have been recovered through archaeological excavations there, it becomes pretty clear that uh, archaeology has played an important role at the Alamo as well. Visitors can see uh, on the block beside the Alamo, uh, little windows into the ground that uh, today's ground surface is several feet above the 19th century level. Uh, and Parks and Wildlife was um, part of excavations back in the 70s that uncovered the outer walls of that mission. And the visitor can see those remnants of the walls and outer bastions through little windows into uh, the past that are, again, several feet above that 19th century surface. Those missions were uh, large complexes, and so what people tend to think of from the movies, uh, you know, the John Wayne Alamo movie is, is just the church, but it was a large complex, and so uh, what they're seeing today is just a small portion of it. Another mission that people can visit is uh, Goliad State Historic Site Mission Espiritu Santo, uh, down near the, the town of Goliad in South Texas, and that mission has been rebuilt, it was done back in the 1930s based on archeology span done by the University of Texas and the Civilian Conservation Corps. And then uh, the CCC rebuilt that mission, its stone walls and the archeology span that was done is interpreted as well as the life of the Spanish and the Native Americans in the mission is interpreted through museum exhibits there. And I think one of the points that that we should try and make here is that um, 
people often sort of think of archaeology and, and history as two totally separate disciplines, and, and uh, they shouldn't be thought of that way. Uh, the archaeology that has been done is very often uh, dependent on history, and history is dependent on archaeology. Some of the sites that we're talking about, San Felipe, some of the missions, the, the, the historic sites, um, we know a lot about them because of the history and the archival records that are associated with those sites, but the archaeology has been critical in filling in some of the gaps that the historical records don't always provide you. Uh, for example, at San Felipe, the, the history and the archival records are very good. The archival records and deed records associated with San Felipe will tell you which town lot a particular person built a building on, and that's critical for us to know. But it's not until you go and do the archaeology that you discover exactly where was that building, what was that building, and what did it, what did that building look like. Uh, we know, for example, the town lot there where Stephen F. Austin had his cabin, but the excitement that a visitor could have by going and actually excavating at San Felipe in Stephen F. Austin's cabin is an, is an experience that most people would never get to have but would love to have. We have not excavated yet in Stephen F. Austin's cabin, but we hope to at some point. That's great. Dinosaur Valley State Park. Uh, that's on our list of archaeological um, sites in Texas, but the name doesn't tell you that. Tell us more. Dinosaur Valley is uh, it's, it's a very interesting place, and it's more about paleontology than archaeology. What, uh, what we find there is that in the Paluxy River, there are footprints of lots of different dinosaurs uh, millions of years ago, hundreds of uh, footprints were left in the soft soils at the time, and they have been uncovered uh, through the years and then the generations, uh, and have been studied by paleontologists from the various universities around the state. So we, Parks and Wildlife, interpret pre-human occupation of North America through the dinosaur footprints at the state park. There are a couple of uh, plastic dinosaurs out front that were used in the 1920s by uh, Standard Oil, and they traveled around the country uh, as part of the oil company's promotions, and then they eventually came to us, uh, and they sit at, at the state park, and people can come and look and see the size of a, of a brontosaurus, and, and I forget what the other one is, but they get their pictures taken, and there's interpretation inside the, the visitor center, and then the visitor can go down and walk along the Paluxy and see some of these dinosaur footprints. So I thought I read, though, online that there was some evidence of human occupation near there as well. One of the interesting things that we do talk about there is the moonshine era of the early 1920s. Okay. Uh, and that uh, of the town of, uh, and the county of Somerville along the Paluxy River. And so that's one of the things that um, is, is talked about in tours at Dinosaur Valley. Does anyone have any last thoughts on archaeological sites that your agencies manage that people can still visit today? Well, I would just uh, say that um, one, one point is that all of our historic sites have archaeology associated with them. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of what we know about all of them 
has been has been learned through archaeological uh, investigations and excavations. Even though today when you go there, you may not see any active archaeology, there may not be any active archaeology, the fact remains that uh, archaeology has been important at probably all of our sites that we, that we own and that we manage, and um, it's an important part of the site. Uh, again, you may not see the excavations, but they've been really important to help fill in some of the gaps that we uh, uh, know and learned uh, about the sites. And so when you go there, just keep in mind as a, as a visitor that even though you do, you're not there to experience a dig or to, to participate in a dig, when you're going through the exhibits and you're seeing the artifacts, remember that those were done because of, uh, they're, they're there and they're available because of archaeology. And we've only really covered sites that your agencies manage, but there are several other places people can experience archaeology um, throughout the state. Correct. There's, there's a number of, uh, of other sites. Uh, one run by the, the National Park Service is Alabates Flint's Quarry's National Monument up in the Panhandle, up um, not actually very far from the Oklahoma line. Uh, it's, it's run by the National Park Service, and it's a uh, national monument because the flint that comes out of the, the cliffs there was traded across the country. They have found examples of Alabates Flint in Michigan and Minnesota and as far south as Mexico, because it was a very, very high quality flint. Uh, there were villages that were set up uh, along the river not far from there to take advantage of that resource. And so people came from all over to trade with the folks who lived there. Uh, and again, it's, it's a National Park Service site. Uh, they can, the visitors can uh, you know, go see the, the visitor center take tours, take a hike with a, a ranger up there. Just like many of our state parks, you can take hikes with rangers and, and visit the, the resources themselves. And the flint was used to make uh, stone point, projectile points? And other tools, and other knives, tools. And, okay. and things like that, yes. Um, what about Lubbock Lake Landmark? Again, up in the Panhandles, what do we know about that? Well, as you're as you're leaving uh, Amarillo and he heading south, you drive a couple of hours, uh, you get to Lubbock. Uh, Lubbock Lake Landmark is an important site. It is managed today by the Museum of Texas Tech at Texas Tech University. Uh, Lubbock, Lubbock Lake Landmark, uh, they have found there through years of uh, archaeological investigation and, and work there, uh, evidence of a very early um, occupation there from the Paleo-Indian period, which dates to around 13,000, 12 to 13,000 years ago. Uh, at that site in particular are several uh, bison kill sites where the um, Native Americans were uh, trapping uh, bison in particular uh, in, the, in the draw that's there and killing them. There's some evidence of uh, mammoth remains as well. It was an important site in the southern high plains uh, for the Native Americans uh, in that area. Um, and it, it continued through, through time to be an important uh, location because of the springs there. Uh, as Michael mentioned earlier, uh, water resources in Texas is what was really driving uh, where you find archaeological sites. And on the southern high plains, in years when it's uh, really tough to find water, the springs there at Lubbock Lake were important. And that's what was uh, driving occupation. 
and they continued to be used through time on into the uh, what today is the historic period and why Lubbock is there today. So at the Texas parks around the state, um, do they all have some sort of water resource tied to them uh, if there was an archaeological site there? In, in many cases, there's evidence that there used to be water, uh, but because of the change in the climate over the, the thousands of years, uh, there may not be springs anymore, but when we find archaeological evidence in a location, we'll go look for where the spring may have been, and, and our, our environmental scientists can, can show us where those springs generally were. Um, in many cases, the springs are still there. Uh, in some cases, uh, there are now lakes. For instance, uh, Cedar Hill State Park uh, is, a, is a lake, and it's um, a, a dammed lake. Uh, it's a reservoir, uh, and there's archaeology all over that park because in the late 19th century, it was good farmland. One of the remaining farms there is uh, Penn Farm, and uh, the buildings are still there. The visitors can visit, go inside the barn, see the main house, uh, and take tours. And that's interpreted because the farm families lived there because the water was there. People have lived there for thousands of years because of the water that was near there. And uh, another site that we should mention, um, it's a site that is not open to the public. That's the Galt site. It's here in Central Texas located in uh, northern Williamson County and southern uh, Bell County. Um, the Galt site is a very important, probably one of the most important archaeological sites in North America. Uh, it's a site that there's strong evidence that it dates to earlier than the earliest current known occupation uh, the Paleo-Indian period, which we mentioned a while ago, of around 12 to 13,000 years. There's now evidence at the Galt site that there's an even earlier occupation uh, at that site. And again, it was a, um, a site, a habitation site, located along the, the water source there, where they were hunting mammoth and other large game, and also gathering uh, plants and, and materials. Um, the Galt site, it's on private property. It's not open to the public, but you can go on tours there if you make arrangements ahead of time. And you can do that through the Wilson County Museum site, I believe. Uh, you can probably also go online and search for it and find out information on how to, how to do that. But it's, a, it's an important uh, archaeological site here in Central Texas. There's another site in Central Texas um, that's been mentioned uh, in previous conversations. That's Spring Lake. Spring Lake is uh, on the campus of Texas State University. And uh, the university has done some archaeology there, and they are... Um, the last I met with them a few years ago, they're, they're planning on some new interpretive exhibits out there for the public to see and the college students to see. Uh, archaeology has been done there on and off for decades. There's evidence of um, from the archaic period right through to um, the, the 20th century of people living there. There's uh, early Texas frontier period right up to uh, when there was a, a uh, park there and they had swimming pigs and so all of those uh, kinds of things can be found there at Spring Lake on the campus at Texas State University. Uh, there's also um, various museums throughout the state that have um, archaeological exhibits that tell the history of Texas. Right here in town, there's the Bob Bullock Museum. Um, 
Go ahead. The Bob Bullock, uh, of course, is um, a, a museum here in Austin that uh, it emphasizes uh, history throughout uh, throughout the state. One of the big exhibits that it has right now is the exhibit on the LaBelle shipwreck, which was, of course, uh, an archaeological excavation conducted by the Texas Historical uh, Commission a number of years ago on the, the French ship LaBelle. Um, but there at the museum, it also you can also find uh, or see evidence of the importance of archaeology throughout the exhibits there because it's, uh, it's artifacts and stories about the, the story of Texas. Other museums uh, that really emphasize archaeology, uh, again, going back to the Panhandle, to me, one of the best museums, uh, history museums in the state, is the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon, uh, just south of, of Amarillo. It emphasizes uh, the prehistoric lifeways of Native Americans on the, on the High Plains and Southern Plains uh, throughout uh, time that's known, um, from the Paleo-Indian period all the way through to the historic uh, Native groups of the Comanche and, and Kawa. Um, it has artifacts from various time periods and uh, archaeology uh, excavation that has taken place at various locations around the Panhandle. It's a really good museum, and I really encourage people to go there. I've traveled through Texas several times through that area, and I now wish I had stopped at that museum, so it, I'll note it a, for next time. It, it's a large museum, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful museum. I, I really encourage people to go there. Uh, we mentioned Lubbock Lake uh, earlier in the museum at Texas Tech. Uh, that museum also uh, really emphasizes uh, the, the lifeways of the Southern Plains and the Native Americans of the, of the Southern Plains. Um, it's one that I mentioned just simply because of its ties, again, to the Lubbock Lake landmark. It, it, it operates uh, that site and has some really good uh, exhibits talking about the prehistoric lifeways of the Southern Plains. There's actually a museum in El Paso that's dedicated just to archaeology as well. That's correct. There is a museum there of, uh, of archaeology in the El Paso region. Uh, and they have uh, artifacts from various sites around El Paso. And it talks about uh, early man in the El Paso region right up through to frontier settlement in, in that region of the state. Uh, it's a very nice little museum. Uh, it doesn't take real long to go through. It's family friendly. There are exhibits for kids. There's a garden out back. Uh, and again, it's, it, it's mostly about human occupation of uh, the, the West Texas desert. And then the last one we have is the Museum of the Coastal Bend. The Museum of the Coastal Bend in Victoria, it has several uh, exhibits on archeology span of the Southern and, and Southeastern portion of, uh, of the state. Um, it also has an exhibit on LaBelle and the, the, the cannons that were recovered from Fort St. Louis, which was uh, the, the colony that was attempted to be set up after the, the LaBelle sank. Um, but it also emphasizes several other uh, exhibits based on archaeology of that region of the state. So it, it's, a, it's another museum that has some um, good exhibits on archaeology. And I would just like to say there are probably other museums. I know there are other museums around the state that, that emphasize archaeology and have uh, archaeology exhibits. Probably too many to go through them all here. 
but uh, those are some of the major ones that uh, people can certainly explore and learn more about archaeology. So if someone's at um, one of these historic sites or a state park, if they should come across an artifact or what they might think is an artifact, what should they do? What we ask the public to do is to leave the artifact in place, but to find a ranger and let the ranger know. If they don't find a ranger out uh, on the park, to go to the visitor center and let somebody at the visitor center know where the object was found. Not to pick it up, but to, to let them know where it was found, and they can then take um, a GPS or global positioning point on the artifact and, and they may collect it or they may actually push it back down into the ground for the archaeologists to gather later on. One of the reasons we don't want people just collecting things is it takes those artifacts out of context. What the archaeologists learn about the past and the stories they can tell is through the context of those artifacts. When you have just a bag of stuff, things that have been found, the story has been lost because you don't know what's related to what and when, where, in the ground. So that's why we ask people to leave the things there. And at the Texas Historical Commission and the historic sites that we manage, our policy is exactly the same and for the exact same reasons. We ask uh, visitors to leave the, leave the items there, but if they happen to pick them up and then bring them into the visitor center, that's fine as well. Just um, Make sure that you tell one of the site staff where you found it at so that we can then record it properly. One of the things that we discourage on, on both our sites and the Historical Commission and the National Park Service as well is people collecting things because when they go home with something and put it on their mantelpiece, that context is lost and that part of the story then is lost. So just collecting something because it's an interesting piece of ceramic or uh, an arrowhead, as they're called, their, their points. That story has been lost if it's going home with somebody. There are ways for people to get involved, though, and we sort of mentioned it earlier in the program, and that's the Texas Archaeological Society Field School um, in June. Um, what can people expect from that field school? Well, the Texas Archaeological Society, they, they have their field school every year in, in June. Um, to participate in the field school, you have to be a member of the Texas, Texas Archaeological Society. So the first thing I would encourage people to do if they're interested is uh, get online and uh, join. Um, you can find information about them at texarch.org. That's T-X-A-R-C-H dot org. Uh, that'll take you to the homepage of the Texas Archaeological Society. And you can find information there about becoming a member of the uh, Archaeological Society. Uh, one thing I would mention is that the, the Texas Archaeological Society, it's not a society of uh, professionals. I mean, you don't have to be a professional to be a member. They really encourage anybody who's interested in archaeology to become a, a member. And then the field school that they have every June, um, they travel around to different areas of the state so, so you can really experience uh, archaeology throughout and around, around the state. Um, you'll learn how to do proper archaeological um, excavation techniques, uh, surveying techniques uh, to, to find sites and identify, identify sites, record sites, and you'll meet a great group of people who share your interest. And uh, uh, if you're interested in doing, getting your hands dirty and really experiencing uh, archaeology, 
join the Texas Archaeological Society and go to one of their field schools. And it's open to families, correct? That's correct. There's, uh, every year there is a kids' excavation area. One of my uh, favorite archaeologists ever was about a six-year-old little girl who came <laughs> to our field school at Devil's River several years ago. She was just having the time of her life. Her and her brother and her mother were working in an excavation. She was learning alongside professional archaeologists and other avocationalists who know and understand how to do field work. Uh, they every year find a campground and people camp out. Uh, they stay in hotels, you know, wherever you want to stay if you're not into camping, but it's very family oriented. The children can have their own area, come back uh, at the end of the day. Mom and dad will, will do part of um, survey or some other part of the, the excavations, the investigations for that year. So yes, it is very family oriented, although people come out simply by themselves, adults who just are interested as well. So it's uh, something that uh, everybody uh, different age ranges with different interest and experience levels. If you have absolutely no experience whatsoever, that's perfectly fine. You just have to be willing and able. Well, thank you both for sharing your expertise with us today. And for those of you tuning in, you can learn more about our work at Road or more about the archaeological sites that we've talked about. Um, just go to www.text.gov and search for archaeology. Um, And if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your support, please review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Michael and Brett, and uh, so long for now. Thank you. Thanks for having us.